0: Hello and welcome to the Live Thrivingly podcast. Today I have an amazing guest to share with you all. He is the pastor and founder of Agape Church for Soul, Mind, and Body. He's a ceremonial facilitator and guide, a certified psychedelic integration coach, an active duty Air Force veteran, founder of Agape Heroes, a nonprofit program helping veterans, first responders, and their spouses overcome career associated traumas through sponsorships spiritual retreats and entheogenic experiences he's also a medicine musician slash singer songwriter and the host of faith in entheogens podcast he's also a proud husband and father beyond his impressive credentials Sergio's story is both humbling and inspiring as an air force veteran and contractor for the army He inevitably suffered from the challenges associated with post-traumatic stress disorder. He was prescribed 11 different prescriptions, along with self-medicating with recreational drugs and alcohol. As the combination would suggest, he finally disappointed his family and himself to the point where he sought alternatives to overcome his ailments. Inevitably, he discovered and researched the benefits of plant medicines and attended his first ayahuasca ceremony in 2019, and as a result, never took another prescription drug again. After working with the plant teacher for a year, he found himself interested in offering integration services, which evolved into facilitating ceremonies and ultimately developing an entheogenic church and expression through medicine music. Welcome to the show, Sergio. We're so honored to have you. Yeah,
1: thank you so much, Jackson, uh, first off, for for the platform, for this opportunity to share my story, and um, for putting together such an important um, expression of yourself. You know, I've gotten, like I said uh, before the call, I've gotten the privilege or had the privilege of hearing some of your episodes, and it very much feels aligned with with uh, my purpose, and, and um, yeah, I'm just very excited to be here, so thank you very much.
0: So, first off, just um, I would like to know what is your spirit animal, and how does it show up in your life? that's It's funny you asked that because it's uh, you know, especially in in the path
1: that that I've grown into recently, I, I very much associate with the wolf for for a lot of different reasons, even the way that it presented itself to me is interesting. It was like all by accident, um the first ceremony. That I um, was invited to facilitate outside of the state of Texas was for an, um, a retreat. Uh, it's a it was about a ten day retreat in Kona, Hawaii. And while I was there, the shaman I was working with had you know on display a lot of uh, a lot of jewelry from Putumayo, Colombia. So it's like beaded you know bracelets and necklaces and one of them looked a lot like the logo that i put together for for solnos which is uh originally the the church and and the program that i had put together prior to agape and um i i was drawn to it because it was black and white and it kind of had the same pattern you know um but it ended up being uh when i when i showed the shaman and told him i was interested in purchasing it he gave it to me as a gift and he was like you know it's funny you, you picked the wolf and i was like the wolf you know and he he turned it sideways and it was a white and a black wolf you know like the face of a white and a black wolf so since then I've been studying you know the wolf and it and it really just felt like aligned with you know my role and how that role evolved um you know I'm am a leader in this community um you know so I I have my own wolf pack per se and uh and in the ceremony space, you know, as a facilitator, that's essentially what I'm doing is protecting the pack and, and ensuring that everybody is, um, is having, you know, a safe and, and uh, meaningful experience. So the wolf is absolutely something that resonates with me. Um, it comes through in my music, too. You know, I, I've written songs about, um, you know, the wolf and, and the lessons I've received in, in that. Um, you know, spiritual guidance uh, from, from that spirit animal. I also, you know, have a lot of lessons. And recently I reflected on its opposite, the sheep, you know, and at, towards the end of the year, I really was curious to to like study that, the dynamic between the wolf and the sheep. And I found a lot of similarities that were were, you know, to me, um, more of an understanding of, of the power of observance, you know, like a wolf is constantly looking and studying the sheep in order to find its, you know, its opportunity to to strike, you know. And uh, as I started studying the behaviors of the sheep and comparing that, that to the wolf, I found, you know, similarities and, you know, both are, are weak um, in solidarity, you know, like they, so exactly what the wolf um, takes advantage of in the sheep, it's also vulnerable to in its own state of solidarity, you know, weakness. So it's uh, it was a really interesting, you know, um, subject and and study for me to to sit down and really, really, you know, find my way through that dynamic um, in such a meaningful way. I wasn't expecting that, you know, I was expecting to find lessons here and there, but you know, the similarities for me was was the most shocking. Um, you know, value of, of that study. So so yeah, and it's something that I, you know, spirit animals is something that I also offer in, in some of my coursework. Um, so so yeah, I feel very much in tune with with nature in that sense, you know, learning from nature, finding opportunities to uh, study those behaviors and and finding harmony and grace in, in the lessons that
0: that these humble
1: creatures have to offer us.
0: Wow, thank you for sharing that, Sergio. Such a beautiful answer and um, with so much depth there and you've really gone into study of the spirit animal and really an embodiment of um, the wolf itself and its and its counterpart, you know. So wow, thank you so much for sharing that. So um, yeah, let's let's jump in and uh, I would love to hear some more about your life's journey up into this point. Wow.
1: Yeah, this is always interesting, you know, because the journey is is the life, you know, like it's, it's very much the path that we're we're set out on um, in this experience. Um, you know, I grew up in South Texas and in, in a small town um, called Premont. It's uh, my graduating class with 69 people to put it in perspective. So everybody knew who I was and I had a very established stature in that city, you know. Um, my parents were influential, and even my my grandparents were involved in politics and and uh, you know so everybody kind of it was hard not like to get in trouble without everybody knowing you know so it was uh, very much always eyes on me and even when I got in trouble I was privileged enough to uh, to get it taken care of in a way that wasn't going to affect my future you know but um, it was it was a double edged sword for me in in my personal Experience, you know, because having that privilege without necessarily earning it always for me was um, drawing out the the need to to go above and beyond, you know, to overperform, to make a name for myself rather than just to uh, be, you know, um, my father's son or my mother's son, you know. So that that also, you know, led me into. Um, you know, impressing my friends and making poor decisions in that front, you know, like drinking excessively. I never said no to, um, you know, an experience with a recreational drug or alcohol. So it was it was kind of one of those things that um, without me being aware of it started taking control of my life, you know, like a popularity became a focus more so than my um, my evolution, you know, into being a better person. So, um, so I recognized that, thankfully, in in my life, and I decided, like, uh, to reflect and figure out what I could do to to recover. And that's that's uh, inevitably what led me to join the Air Force, you know. And even in joining the Air Force, I had. Um, nearly a perfect score on my ASVAB. So my opportunities um, in all four branches were all great. You know, I would have had a good career uh, choice in in any of the four branches. Um, but what drew me to the Air Force um, was the core values, you know, service before self, excellence in all we do. And um, wait, hold on. <laughs> I should, I always talk about this. So it's funny that I'm forgetting about it. Service before self, excellence in all we do. And there's a third that I'll, that'll come up later for me uh, i would imagine but in either case the core values are are essentially you know what were the final deciding factor for me to join the air force and i did i i uh, called the recruiter it was funny 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 story too because the recruiter had never recruited anyone into the air force before me it was his first day on the job and he gets this phone call at nine in the morning saying hey I have a near perfect ASVAB, and I want to join the Air Force, so I'm driving to Kingsville, and I like literally did. I drove to the recruiting office. He had no idea how to in-process me. <laughs> he was like on the phone with the supervisor, you know, processing the paperwork over the phone, and uh, I end up, you know, signing up. And even that was there was like this pause period that that was afforded in like you know I had already talked to a, a general friend of the family. And he told me that whatever I chose, make sure that it translated into a civilian career, you know, so they were going to offer me things that were only, you know, um, effectively um, successful careers within a military space. So um, he told me to do something along the lines of, of technology. And I took that advice. I'm happy I did, too. Um, So I ended up signing up for satellite wideband and telemetry. Um, Like that's um, the career field that I, that I entered into. And there was like a four month waiting period before I could go to basic training for that career field specifically. So I was like, well, you know, he told me to do this. So I'm going to, I'm going to do that and I'll wait, I'll wait until basic training. So I basically went on a bender for four months, you know, like just saying goodbye to my friends and like having campfires and just experiences before I left, you know, like, so taking full advantage of, of this waiting period. And it was a perfect excuse. Like, no, I can't do it. I can't get a job. I can't go to school because I'm leaving to the air force. So I'm just going to chill out and, you know, like have this life experience. And I did, it was, it was, uh, interesting, you know, an interesting point in my life. And, uh, so I leave the basic training and um, and it was a complete nightmare for me. And like the first memory I have of basic training is them. like You know, I was I was essentially a skater in high school, you know, like so I had ripped jeans and like tight fitting shirts and jewelry and, you know, like, you know, the scene. So I ended up showing up that way. And as soon as I got off the bus, the one of the TIs, you know, the technical instructors ripped off the right leg of my jean. Like, so like, because my pocket had a hole in it, he just grabbed the pocket and ripped it off. He was like, you like holes in your jeans. And so like for the first two to three days, I was walking around with one pant leg, like because they don't issue your uniforms (laughs) immediately, you know. So it was like this incredibly humbling experience, you know, and I'll never forget that because it was. It was, you couldn't explain to anyone because you also can't talk in this situation. So it was very much like, a, what are you doing, dude? Like, why did you, why did you show up in this way? And and just a beautiful reflection looking back, you know, it was, it was incredibly embarrassing in the moment, but, um, but yeah, I'm happy that I had that immediate, you know, humbling experience in my Air Force career. But so, you know, I go through basic training and uh, and go through my my technical schooling. Um, you know, I, one of the reasons I joined the Air Force was to travel. And I literally just went like, you know, basic training's in San Antonio. And then my technical instruction was in Mississippi. And then my first duty station was in Florida. And then I got my next assignment in Georgia. So I just started straight up the Gold Coast you know, into the East Coast and, uh, and never did any traveling outside of, of deployments, you know, so it was like, like, uh, just an interesting experience there too. Like getting the experience for one, you know, coming from a small town, uh, and everyone knowing you to having absolutely no identity, and having to prove yourself constantly. So it was like, you know, a really important lesson in my life, um, and and finding self-worth and, and value in that exercise is, is what, you know, I ultimately got from that experience. So I'm very grateful for that. Um, but so I, I did really well in the Air Force. I had a good experience in the Air Force too. You know, I had a good reputation. I was a hard worker, you know, even in South Texas, like I grew up on a ranch. So a lot of the the labor associated with with my career, you know, setting up um, satellite dishes and terminals and radio um, antennas, things like that. Where it came really easy for me because I'd worked on, you know, every time I got in trouble, my dad would make me clean the fence line of a 10-acre ranch or even if I got in more trouble, we had a thousand acres for me to to work on. So it was like, you know, I was always outside working with my hands, you know, like, uh, so as a product of, of you know, my behavior and my, like, you know, my poor choices. So, it ended up being, um, you know, throughout my whole life, I feel like I've been conditioned for the next step, like no matter what, you know, like, so and so that's how it felt in the Air Force. Like I, I had those previous experiences, and they were not pleasant in the moment, but they absolutely prepared me for what was next, you know. So because of that, I, um, you know, I I started, you know, on a really um, fast forwarded path in the Air Force, you know, I got I was one of the first engineers um, for active duty. Like it was uh, it was um, only for officers in engineering position. And uh, as a result of me getting a DUI, it, it brought a bunch of attention to me. And this, uh, you know, the DUI I'll get back to, you, but it brought a lot of attention to my profile because they were looking for reasons to, to hang me out to dry. And as they started reviewing my profile, they found out how, how, I excelled, you know, in in my performance. So then they end up saying, you know what, we're not gonna we're not gonna punish you for this, but you're gonna work directly for the commander as an engineer, and we're gonna see how this works out, you know. So you know the the DUI was a direct result of of my post traumatic stress disorder and in, in uh, my deployment experiences, you know. As a as a support engineer, I basically had to make sure that equipment would work um, when when it would fail in the field, you know. So a lot of our equipment was, uh, you know, expeditious uh, expeditiously used, you know. So it was behind, uh, you know, uh, forward operating bases, um, combat areas is where a lot of our equipment was was being utilized. So in that. In that career, you're always kind of going out and fixing things, and the result of why it failed is usually because it got hit by a mortar, or you know, or enemy fire, or just you know, uh, operator error. But in in most cases, it was because it was severely damaged. So you, me, and being in the Air Force, and also being you know, essentially an asset and in, in a position of of you know, a, a technician or an engineer. I would show up with like a measuring wheel and a few spare parts and like a soldering iron with a pistol on my hip, you know, rather than, you know, a rifle to protect myself and then just put all of my faith into like the army and Marines, um, that I was servicing in, in that moment, you know, like, so all of my attention was on fixing their communications while, while things were still going around or going on around me, you know, so there was, there was this, uh, there was an opportunity for observance, um, you know, in in their in in their need to protect me, right? Like in their engagement with the enemy. Um, but all the while, the longer it took me to fix this, the longer I was there. So I was like, I would show up and for two to three days not sleep, just constantly working on on the equipment until I got it right or until I figured out what was wrong, and then I would go back to to the home base and and uh, you know, gather the parts. Return, fix it, and and then come back to to a more safe environment. You know, so it was uh, a different kind of PTSD. Like I never shot at anyone, but I heard shots being fired all around me, and I heard them in close proximity. Um, so it was it was very much and you know affected me. It heightened me severely. You know, I had hypervigilance, social anxiety. And when I came back to a culture that that drowns itself in alcohol, even before you know a an experience like that, it was it was the perfect you know self medication practice for me. In that moment, was just to continue drinking and drinking excessively, you know. So that and inevitably, inevitably led me to uh, and it was. Uh, it was a really valuable lesson for me for a few reasons. Like, you know, one, I was, I went from being the high performer in my squadron to that guy, like, and literally that guy, they they had a program in the Air Force called That Guy. Like, and don't, it was essentially a campaign that said, don't be that guy. And uh, like two weeks after I got my DUI, man, they had that, that program uh, offered to our base. And when we showed up for it, I was answering all the questions and the guy was like, man, how do you know all this stuff about like, you know, <laughs> alcohol offenses? I was like, because I'm that guy, <laughs> you know, like, so I, like it was just like, I don't know the like, all it's so synchronized that it was unbelievable. Like, so um, being hoisted up my entire career to being knocked right down, you know, flat on the ground and and having to earn my my trust back and and earn my reputation back um seems to be the narrative, you know, like in 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 that evolution of of me and, and my life path. so it it kind of, you know, it was disheartening. and also like it created that opportunity, right? But I remember the judge telling me that uh, instead of finding me, if I could deploy within the next two months, then he would, he would waive everything, essentially. So um, I had just gotten back from a deployment, like six weeks. Uh, within six weeks of my return is when I got my DUI. So he was essentially telling me the next opportunity for, for your unit, uh, for you to deploy, you need to take, like so that we can we can help you with this and your record. So I did, and I was in a, a unit, uh, you know, the 5th Combat Communications Group. That had four squadrons in it, you know, I was in the, in the 50, the 51st and like we essentially um, would deploy one after the other, you know, so the opportunity I had just gotten back. So I knew that within two months I'd be able to deploy. So I was like, shit, I'm going back, you know, and I did, I ended up going back to Afghanistan for, for a six month stretch. And because that was my experience, I knew I didn't want to be in the Air Force anymore. It was like, dude, how can I be like really good at this? And then, and then be thrown, by. you know, I was like very much disheartened in that experience. so I had decided that I was going to leave the Air Force. I wasn't going to continue after my six-year commitment. <clears throat> so... At that point, I, you know, I go out, I do the best job that I possibly can. I got attention from a civilian contracting company that was out there and they said, hey, would you be interested in doing this for us? You know, like doing the exact same thing you're doing, except in the civilian aspect, you know, and, and uh, you would come out here, live out in Afghanistan for a year and uh, and fulfill, you know, the contract to, a, to the army for for this, you know, series of terminals that they had sold the army and I accepted it. So again, I come back with just enough time to out process from the air force. And then I deploy immediately as a civilian, like uh, into Afghanistan, again, almost the same area, you know, doing the exact same thing, except I could wear ripped jeans and whatever I wanted, you know, so it was like the perfect, you know, the perfect uh, situation for me, I thought, you know. Like those those opportunities pay very well. So that's that's essentially why I made the decision. I knew that if I did that for one year, I'd have enough money saved up to be able to to do whatever I wanted in my life, you know, moving forward. It would give me a cushion at least, you know, to to make my own decisions and figure out where I was going. Um, it ended up being an even more um, like serving experience than i expected because it you know i went in in the air force you're able to ca- at least carry the pistol right but as a civilian you can you're non-combative like so and the the only thing i can carry was a knife that was within six inches long you know so it was like dude if i have to use this it's over like i'm basically just gonna hand it to them <laughs> like so and so that they don't think that I'm a threat, you know, like if it ever came to that. So, so it was another opportunity to just observe, you know, and I didn't realize it then, you know, I was just fulfilling my role, but, you know, in, in working with veterans now, I realized that all those experiences were so that I could develop an awareness of what it is that they're suffering from, what it is that they're going through. And, uh, and, and in in that lesson, you know, apply those in a way that that is relatable, you know. So it was it was a beautiful opportunity. But again, you know, it added to my PTSD. Um, I decided at the end of my contract not to renew it. I came home and uh, my parents owned an insurance agency. And I I decided, you know, again, coming back to getting in trouble, a, a lot of my punishment was also working in the office filing and getting familiar with insurance so it was like okay i'm going to i'm going to give this a shot and see the table so I, you know i took my my state exam and i passed it and uh, and was licensed in all lines for insurance i did that for for 7 years um, there in south texas all the while doing the same thing you know um, drinking excessively i had a family i was married and and i had a son um, while I was in the Air Force, you know, which is a lot of the reason I made the the decisions I did of leaving. Um, but that, that experience is essentially where I got to a point where, you know, the VA uh, prescribed me 11 different prescriptions, you know, mood stabilizers, anti-anxiety medications, pain medications. Um, there were injuries I sustained in Afghanistan, like a building fell on my head. And uh, and cause compression injuries throughout the l- lower part of my back. Um. So a lot of those things were were associated to the VAs, you know, answers of of just shoving pills down my throat, you know, and then uh, offering me <clears throat> interesting therapy, you know, like almost like the therapy almost seemed like they were convinced trying to convince me that there was nothing wrong with me, you know. Even that was a really interesting experience because for for about five years of leaving that environment, I didn't accept that I had PTSD. You know, I held on to the culture of I, I drink a lot because I can drink a lot, you know, and it upsets you because you can't, <laughs> you know, like it was like a very hyper masculine response to to a drinking problem, you know. So um, in that, in that experience, I kind of Started losing my personality, you know, to to these uh, to these medications, and um, and I was grasping for it with more alcohol and more more drug use, you know, and that spiraled out of control to a point where where I was unrecognizable, and uh, and you know, essentially what happened for me, my rock bottom is not at all what people would imagine it to be. I just missed one of my son's award ceremonies, and that was enough for me to be like, dude, what is wrong with you, you know? Like, and it was the day that my wife was working. I was responsible for taking him to the award ceremony. It was in the morning, and uh, I had taken out, you know, some loan officers for drinks that day, and I got back at like three in the morning and decided to continue drinking to, uh, to try to stay awake for the award ceremony at nine end up passing out. And I woke up at like two in the afternoon with my son sitting next to me watching cartoons. As soon as I woke up, he said, is, is it time to go to the award ceremony? And my heart broke, you know, like that was enough for me to be like, dude, what are you doing? Like, this is not working. Um, so I started, you know, researching what what I could do to get my life back together. And um, somehow that, that like went into a rabbit hole of you know, all of a sudden I was researching ancient aliens instead, you know, and like, like it just went way off at the way off the mark. And in the comments of one of those, like it was like a Joe Rogan podcast. Um, you know, they meant there was a mention of ayahuasca, you know, so that was like, a, you know, an interesting thing for me. It was like an ancient civilization. Um, I forget the, the guy the his guest name, but in either case, um, he he had partaken in an ayahuasca experience and talked about it. So then you know that was the birth of of the, or the planting of the seed in my mind that ayahuasca existed for one, and also that it may be an answer to to my recovery. So I did the research, um, you know, for a few days, and that and then uh, started planning my trip to Peru. You know, like I was convinced that this could. I started planning to go to Peru, and in that planning stage, um, again, in the comments of of a YouTube video, I found that that you know there were entheogenic churches in the United States that I could visit, and uh, the one that was mentioned was in Orlando, Florida, and uh, and they had a ceremony exactly thirty days from the day that I that I discovered it, and I knew that that was an appropriate window for me to wean off my medication. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to sign up, you know, and uh, and. Go to this uh, weekend retreat and uh, i committed to my dieta. i, I weaned off cold t- which is not easy you know, i would recommend right you know a little more planning does a, a lot more justice for the process but um nonetheless it's what i did another thing i did that most people don't is i i immediately told my family what my intentions were Um, why I I thought it was going to help me and uh, the way that I approached it is the same way that I think somebody would approach heart surgery you know like nobody feels guilty for having to have heart surgery performed on you because you need it you know like so I considered this to be a medicine and a remedy so I was like look this is this could help me here's the research that I found on it y'all need to be comfortable with this and even if if you're not y'all just need to understand why I'm doing it so that if anything happens to me Y'all know that it was, it was, you know, a noble act. It wasn't, you know, something that, that, you know, was recreational or exploratory. So, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't the easiest conversation, obviously, but, but I had it. And I'm so glad I did because I went into the experience um, without that worry, you know, like, oh my God, like, you know, it, I, in my head, I just knew that, you know, I had imagined what most people perceive as an ego death experience. And uh, that would be if if I if somebody that I loved didn't know where I was, you know, that would, in my mind at the time, would have amplified that experience to a point that was traumatizing rather than healing, you know. So that happened to me in my first ayahuasca experience. You know, I tamed my ego in that experience. And um, and it was very much, you know. The act of letting go and the act of surrendering, I can only attribute to to my honesty with my loved ones, you know, like, because in that moment, I remember accepting like, well, they're going to be really proud that you tried to save your own life in this experience. So, so if this is death, then I'm ready for it, you know, because the story is going to carry on, you know, he died on, on the operation table while, while receiving heart surgery, you know, like, that's not something to, to, it's not a shameful act. So I was, uh, you know, blessed in that experience. Um, I ended up, you know, going through the entire retreat weekend and the prescription drug again. Um, I met some really beautiful people there. Um, they gave me an opportunity to, uh, to volunteer. And while I was continuing my work, uh, with the medicine, and I took everybody's advice, you know. Like I, I felt, I felt amazing after my experience. Um, but uh, like I wanted to dive head head first, you know, into into the culture, into the experience, into the in, into the community. And um, instead, I took baby steps. You know, I gave myself time to heal myself first before I before I even ever approached anybody with a shred of advice. You know. Like so it, i'm I'm very happy that I took that approach in in my healing path, too. I honored myself first. you know, like I, I did the I did the work prior to to ever even considering, you know, offering my limited experience with with such a powerful teacher um to anyone else. So, um so I, I ended up committing basically a year. Um, to going back like every other month, essentially um, sitting with the medicine and working through, um, you know what I, I originally showed up to work on post-traumatic stress disorder. But in reality, um, what I came to terms with is everything that led me to to the decision of gambling with my life for for travel experience and like a college degree. You know, like what like everything I worked on was what brought me to sign my life away. You know, like childhood trauma, you know, sexual abuse, you know, all of those traumas associated with, with the before, you know, not the after. So, um, so yeah, I'm I'm just very grateful for for that experience, and it evolved in ways that I never would have imagined. You know, like uh, I was given the opportunity to volunteer. Um, then that became more focused, and I was volunteering uh, with veteran. Uh, groups, you know, with Warrior Quest USA at the time, now they're Wellness Retreat Alliance. Um, They're the ones that gave me an opportunity to start integrating. And I loved that so much that I decided to to commit to a one-year certification program. Um, You know, so I entered into the Psych Soul Method with Cherie Gadassai. And uh, that was a beautiful experience. That's where I met Otto. That's where I met Wendy. That's where I met a lot of the integrators that are now working with Agape and um went through my own integration for an entire year essentially that's how you, that's how she teaches the program is you, you have to go through all the modalities yourself and and uh, it's kind of like a toolbox you know you reach for for those tools whenever you need them and you offer the tools whenever you see it appropriate for the job too so um towards the end of that program i i started like looking for other opportunities because it was really hard for me to to travel you know from south texas to florida um, as frequently as i would have liked to so the last ceremony i went and i talked to justin um and i was like look man i love this i really do but i can't i can't keep wasting so much time on on travel you know like i need to find something closer to home and he was like well we have a sister community in houston you should reach out to them and i was like justin What gives, man? Like, you should have mentioned that months ago. You know, I could have been saving tons of time. And uh, so I got home super excited. He gave me um, Raquel's contact information. And uh, I immediately, like, did the overachiever thing. You know, I sent her my resume, basically, in a text message. (laughs) Like, she probably never even read it all because it was, like, literally you know pages of of how stellar i am at, at, at holding space you know like so so then she responds immediately she was like hey thanks but uh but we're full you know like i was trying to, to volunteer for for a ceremony that was coming up that weekend you know I, I had just gotten back from ceremony and and he mentioned that they were having a ceremony that weekend so i was like this is a perfect opportunity and she shot me down immediately she's like no we're full right so I was like, well, shit, that that didn't work out. But she, you know, supposedly put me on the list for the next one. All right. So so then, you know, I go through the week just thinking like, man, I have to get involved with these people, you know. So the day before I sent him a text and thank God I did, dude, because it, it ended up being the reason that she allowed me to come. I told her, like, look, I have a six hour drive to get to get To your ceremony so if for any reason somebody cancels let me know and I'm still willing to make the trip and that was that was what sold her on on my commitment to the space you know so she said you know what we just had a volunteer cancel like so you're welcome to come if you're still willing to make the drive and I was like I'll see you in the morning you know so I took off I got here and then I as soon as I got here I found out there were there was no volunteers at all You know, she had she had called people that morning to to help because, you know, at at that point of and, and this is the infancy of Agape, you know, like when they first started holding ceremonies. So even the the necessity for volunteers hadn't hadn't come to that point. But this was a very their first very large ceremony, you know, like 50 participants. And so they realized, like, you know, volunteers probably would would make things go a little smoother. So I showed up and she's like, Hey, I just read, you know, your, your information. We're really happy to have you. Would you mind leading the volunteers? And I was like, <laughs> okay, you know, like, I don't, like, I don't know anybody. And then as soon as I got there, I realized that it was a bilingual community, you know, and my Spanish at the time was, was like a three-year-old child, you know, it was nothing like a, no conversational skills at all in, in Spanish. So um it was a challenge but I you know I showed up and I did my best and and uh you know made an impression with the community so they invited me there to, to continue you know coming in that role as as a leader of of the volunteers and um that's that's what evolved into my invitation you know Agape was was the uh, community that put together the Kona retreat and um in, that's that's where Raquel and my relationship went from a professional one to to an intimate one you know like that towards the end of that uh retreat it was the first opportunity we had to share personal time together you know because for a retreat in Houston I was driving up the day of the ceremony and then leaving the last day of the ceremony you know so there was it was just all business always you know like and we we're both so passionate about what we do that that you know, neither of us was interested in each other at all. in In those moments, you know, we were just very much interested in in delivering the best experience for our participants that we possibly could. You know, so it uh, like you know, there was uh about two and a half days um, towards the end of the retreat where we were all waiting for our flights. Um, you know, we decided to like all of the volunteers uh, shared a really nice Airbnb together at the end like to kind of decompress and then all of a sudden like people kept falling off you know like one person's family member passed away she had to leave um you know another person had family in the area they went to go to dinner and and it just ended up being Raquel and I and and that like the basically for two days so it was like the perfect opportunity to get to know each other on a personal level and it changed my life forever you know like we we we're married. We have a child together now. Um, you know, in 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 many different ways. You know, Agape is our our child. You know, so so it's uh, something a passion that we're sharing together and a vision that we're sharing together and honoring as best we can. So um, yeah, and and the rest of it's all kind of all suit. You know, to to the expansion. Um, you know, to the to the impression we've made. Uh, in the medicine space, in the medicine communities, and uh, and really just showing up to be, you know, humans having a spiritual experience, you know, or spirits having a human experience. So it's ah, uh, it's it's an evolution of of our commitment to to the sacraments that we work with, and uh, and the space that we hold.
0: Wow, thank you so much for your authenticity and sharing the depths of your story and how it all has transpired. That's, it's truly amazing. Uh, what has brought you to this point now? <clears throat> no, thank you. So yeah, for, for those in the audience that may not have been exposed to other entheogenic medicine content, uh, and may not have a clear understanding of exactly what it is. Um, Could you briefly explain what an entheogen is?
1: Uh, An entheogen is essentially um, a plant or animal sacrament that that is instilling a mystical experience, a spiritual experience. You know, so the the entheogens that we work with uh, specifically are ayahuasca, psilocybin, mushrooms, also referred to as Nino Santos, Um, San Pedro, which is a mescaline cactus similar to peyote, and uh, we work with bufoal various um, which is the secretion of the um, in, the bufoal various toad yeah so they're all in in different they're all different forms of medicine um offering different lessons different teachings and different entheogenic experiences um, but essentially they they the only guarantee that I've seen in working with these for several years is that it, it heightens spirituality in a way that is undeniable, you know, just in the awareness of of uh, you know harmony in the in the awareness of the natural order of things and uh and the awareness in, in our own potential, you know, as as individuals, you know, outside of of you know, community, outside of um, you know the race of of human and the power that that we push on nature. You know the individual. You know value is is what seems to always surface in in uh, the prayers that we hold around these sacraments.
0: Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Um, what advice would you have for someone that's looking to sit within theogenic uh, medicine? Hmm. I
1: have a ton of advice for people. Um, you know, if you, for one, what I like to remind people is like, start where you're being called, right? Like everyone seems to have this idea of, um, you know, I'm called ayahuasca, but I hear it's it's very, you know, difficult. So I'm going to start with something that sounds easier. You know, that always comes full circle and you'll always come back to the medicine that that is a, that is calling you. you know, So starting where you're at, like in in that spiritual process is is an important part, just really honoring what what is calling to you and why it's calling to you. Another thing is to, if if you're being good, for instance, you know, ayahuasca has um, things that people consider to be, Um, you know, downfalls, like uh, like the whole purgative process, or the length of a ceremony, you know, all these things are like, you know, if you are resistant to those things, the better question to ask is, is what you're not willing to let go of, you know, like in in the the purge process is a very sacred act, you know, a physical act and a symbolic act of, of releasing something that no longer serves you. You know, it's like eating rotten food, if you eat rotten food, you're not gonna worry about insulting the chef, you know, and and not throw up, you know, like it's it's a part of that experience, you know, like so. This is a sacrament that sometimes will remove, you know, energetic, emotional, um, physical, um, you know, uh, manifestations in the body that that no longer serve us and and liberate us in that act, you know. So so. Owning that from every experience, you know, every single sacrament has has things um, that are associated with them that, that to the conscious mind or to the ego are not as inviting as the colors and, and uh, you know, the experience, the spiritual experience. So it's, it's um, a full-on commitment, you know, like if, if ayahuasca is calling you, commit to what that means, you know, prepare for, for it without conditions. You know, we cannot, it's again, coming back to heart surgery, we can't say I need heart surgery, but go to the surgeon and say, Hey, can you perform this, but don't leave a scar on my chest? You know, like, it's like, how, how is that going to be possible? How, how will he be able to perform that operation without, you know, opening your chest cavity? You know, it's not, it's not possible. It's part of the, the solution, you know, is, is. Being like you know, fulfilling every step of of the uh, you know necessary um, process. So um, yeah, it's 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 a very serious commitment. It's a it's a very serious act, you know. And and uh, preparation is key. And uh, after the experience, integration is key. You know, having conversations with people who have shared that experience is much easier than going home and trying to convince everybody that they need to try what it is you just went through. You know, it's, um, it's a lesson that's, that's often learned the hard way, you know, like, like most people come back as missionaries trying to sign people up for the next ayahuasca ceremony, when in reality, the way that that you convince people is similar to to a, and the effectiveness of a diet, you know, you're not going to convince people that that they need to start on a diet by showing them all the rules you know, and, and uh, like, you know, telling them that that they're, they'll lose weight, what convinces the person is seeing that you lost 20 pounds, you know, like shedding the weight and committing to the diet and waiting for them to ask you what has changed in your life is the effective way of of getting people interested in these types of things. So,
0: yeah. 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 Thanks for bringing up the point of integration, because that was kind of my next question. And yeah, it, it just seems like there's you know obviously you've spent some more time in these communities and just in general on with the um, psychedelic and plant medicine renaissance but it seems like there's there's so much talk about these experiences and you listen you read articles and podcasts and you see these people out in the world doing them but it's you don't hear much about the integration work and the value that that has and also um, just you know, like you pointed out too, like finding the medicine you're called to. And, you know, some other uh, teachers um, have taught me, like it's not necessarily always hierarchical either of this medicine is necessarily better than this one. It just is which medicine is for you as the individual. And then that after that experience, how are you integrating that? You know, how is your ayahuasca experience, um, making you a better human being, how are you treating your barista or your family members now that you did it rather than, oh my gosh, I had this amazing experience and I'm so expanded now. I'm more expanded than you. You need to go do this so you can come to my level. What are your thoughts on this? You know,
1: it's it's a conversation very recently we've been having a lot um, in reshaping our vision for 2023. You know, Raquel and I at the end of every year um, look back on the year and try to make the best decisions possible for our community. You know, we even have a committee that we that we you know bring these ideas to and and um you know in search of solutions that may be outside of, of our scope, you know, or or even what we what our perspective is offering from our role, you know. Um what my observation has been in this space as a whole, you know, in in uh, entheogenic churches you know psychedelic um uh, assisted therapies you know is that there's a constant hierarchical you know presence like no matter what and and for me that that is something that has to dissolve in in order for us to to remain effective as a spiritual community you know in religion it's it's oftentimes what people have discomfort in is you know like for instance in catholicism you have a priest you have a deacon you have a bishop you have a pope you have and and every single one of them seems to be further and further away from your reach you know like if you are the tip of the spear then you should be the very you know accessible you know like the rest of the spear doesn't get to its target without you you know like so in in our understanding of our roles you know even coming to our ceremonies you know we sit in a circle and that's that's a valuable lesson uh, to and observation and reflection there is no there is no heavier side of the circle you know like there are people that have more responsibility within the space that we're holding which happens to be us in those ceremonies you know, um, but that doesn't set us apart from being human in, in that space. You know, the equality still remains. Um, we make ourselves available to everyone. You know, and one of the reflections that we had is, you know, we've always been very good at offering within our capacity of uh, of sincerity. You know, like so we've never had a ceremony over 40 participants because we were comfortable with that number. And we knew that we can give people attention, you know, in, in a, a ceremony or a retreat experience of that size. We've scaled that back to 25 because we've seen the benefit of that. You know, we we now know everybody's first name. Everyone gets plenty of time with us to integrate their experience and prepare for their next experience. Um, so that's a commitment that we've made for 2023 is, is you know, really taking advantage of the opportunity we have to influence these people in a meaningful way you know convincing them that they are the medicine rather than like as you're saying you know one another problem i see within this space is that people give all the credit to the sacrament you know but the sacrament is powerless unless you consume it and even after you consume it if if you do not given to to it's if you don't give into the experience and surrender to to the experience then you don't get anything out of it you know so who's in power the individual you know and and everybody that has their own way of of having that experience of fulfilling their their healing which makes which makes them the most powerful you know person in that scenario Like, so bringing the understanding back to that, I think is very important for us as a community. You know, we we've shifted our focus away from even the shamans and the facilitators. We don't allow our participants to give the shaman or the facilitator credit for their healing, you know, like because we didn't we didn't put this in you. You know, we offered the tool that has helped us before. You know, in in a way that honors it. You know, and and you're working with it. You know, like this is this is for us to observe. This is for us to guide, and that's it. You know, like so. And so that's that's a focus that we have moving into into our practice. You know, in 2023. Um, another thing is is integration. Man, is is the big secret because that is the individual doing the work that's the individual, you know, taking the experience and applying it in a way that's going to sustain them for a lifetime. You know, it's, it's Mm -hmm. very much the reason that people are healing from these medicines. You know, the, the sacrament, whether it's ayahuasca, Bufo, San Pedro, Like even the pharmaceuticals, MDMA, ketamine, you know, LSD, all of these things that create, you know, psychedelic or mystical experiences um, are worthless without without us having or forming a dialogue from them that that is sustainable, you know. We don't want to create a dependency where people continually come to ceremony to drink ayahuasca, you know, because then that means that they're not getting um you know from the lessons um something that is sustainable we want to see people show up for a retreat work for several months um you know on the lessons if not years on the lessons that they received in that experience and come back when they're when they know that they have something to work with and with that that sacramental experience or that ceremonial experience that to me is much more effective so you know we're offering um, even ourselves this year, you know. Last year we we kind of gave the uh, the integration to to professionals, you know, to, to help us manage our time a little more effectively. Um, so Otto, Wendy, Carlos, um, you know, we have a, a lot of coaches that work with us, um, and that has been very effective. But we're also taking on clients again, you know. We're and that's always been the case. If there was ever a severe case, Raquel and I would uh, essentially work with that person until we felt that they were at a point where where they can work with somebody else, um, which is rare, you know, like we, we I feel do a good job of of uh, poising people to have these experiences beforehand um, and and create a, a opportunity for them to feel supported throughout, you know, their time as a member with us, you know, so. Um, Thankfully, it hasn't been an issue, but but we're ready to. Uh, honestly, I miss it, man. <laughs> like I miss working with people one on one, so it, it's part of the reason. It's a passion of mine that um, that we're reintroducing that as an opportunity for our members to work with us directly, and it also comes back to that that equalizer, you know, like not poising ourselves up to uh, to fulfilling something that we're perfectly capable of you know, we do have time and, and we do have, you know, the the passion to, to fulfill this role, you know, so why is it that we aren't offering it, you know, so the, we have a ton of, of you know, reflections from the previous year. I'd say those are the most notable, you know, like I, I just really would encourage people to take this as serious as, as it actually is. You know, this is a life altering and transformative experience um, you know, it can be, you know, perceived um, otherwise, you know, like just just because of the narrative that that big pharma that the government has put around these types of, of plant and animal teachers, um, you know, that can influence people to expect something other than what it really is. So,
0: so yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. <clears throat> And yeah, I'm very much aligned with um, your your perspective and what y'all are doing at Agape. And I'm so happy to um, be a part of y'all's community and uh, continue to share a similar message along with Live Thrivingly. You know, uh, just returning from my YTT, my yoga teacher training down in Costa Rica, like my teacher really continued to illuminate to us that, you know, as the yoga teacher or as the ceremonial facilitator, like, uh, you're not better than your student, and you're not necessarily healing them, you know, they're coming to you, because you're, you have the ability to hold space so that they can find the medicine within themselves. And coming around to this observation has been so empowering for my own journey as well. And now, when I speak about these things, or I'm in a setting of holding space or teaching a yoga class, like, it's It's all about the empowerment of the other individual. You know, we're we're not here to awaken the sheep. we're We're here to awaken the lion within each of us. and that we're all equally um, deserving, worthy, and capable of, you know, reawakening that lion.
1: No, of course. yeah, and that's that brings me to another point, you know, just really quickly. You know, there seems to be a focus on ascension and there seems to be a focus on spiritual awakening, you know, in, in in a misconceived way, you know, like the way that I understand that to be is is arriving at your best self, you know, having a fulfilling human experience. You know, regardless of how what your beliefs are, we are spiritual beings inhabiting and and experiencing the human experience, you know, so we didn't come here to try to figure out how to get back. That's already guaranteed. As soon as we die, you get you go back to being a spirit, you know, like so. So in my mind, when I hear people say, you know, I feel like I'm awakening or I feel like I'm enlightened or I feel like, you know, I'm I'm in my ascension. My first question is, what about the human experience brings you dissatisfaction, you know, and let's let's take a look at that. Why is it that you think that this is not enough? Because when you were a spirit and you decided to come into the human experience, you thought that the human experience was better than the spiritual experience. You know, they like being a spirit. Right. Like, so it is very much an opportunity in my mind when I hear people say that, that they're at that place in, in their life to re- recognize where they actually are. It's like you're in avoidance, you're in disassociation, and you are, you have the perfect opportunity to dive deeper into into this, you know, so that you can enjoy the time that you've been given. This is a gift, man. You know, like there's, and it's, you know, one out of a trillion chance, you know, in 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 the act of, of creation for you to, for you to have this experience. Like, so it's, it's very much something to value and, and to, to come to terms with in a way that's going to bring you joy and and fulfillment and happiness.
0: Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that point. I, I truly um, align with that as well. Yeah. It's very important uh, that we can invite this, this perspective in to ourselves and into the, the um, the communities and the spaces we share with others because I think it's very important in this time so yeah to to cap the show off Sergio I like to ask uh, when you hear the words live thrivingly what comes to your mind
1: for me it's you know when I think of thriving you know I I think of nature you know I absolutely I think of harmony I think of balance and and you know the laws of nature like so for me to live thrivingly is also to live in harmony with with the world that we're sharing with with all of our brothers and sisters you know plants you know animals all of it like so so to really flourish in the life is to understand how you're how you're offering yourself in the best way to to everyone and everything that's around you so um, I very much resonate with the name of this show. like just so you know when I, when I got the email and I read that it was live thrivingly, I was like, this is this is gonna work. man <laughs> like it's yeah. perfect, you know. So um so yeah, like it's it's to me again, just an opportunity to look at at what allows nature to flourish, you know, like plenty of sun, plenty of water, plenty of plenty of air and and really just understanding how to coexist.
0: Yeah. Beautiful answer. So, if people want to get in touch with you or follow along with you, uh, where they where can they find you and Agape? Um, Agape has a presence. Uh, Agape and myself both have a presence.
1: We're most active on Instagram. Um, I I believe uh, you'll probably be sharing those links. So it's uh you know, I I use Faith and Antigens um on Instagram. And that that is also the name of our podcast. We're on all platforms similar to uh, to Jackson here. Um, We haven't recorded in quite a while because things have uh, have grown exponentially for us in the last year. But we do intend to uh, to offer more episodes in the future. Uh, They've been recorded. They just haven't been edited. Um, So, yeah, that I would imagine that'll happen um, pretty soon. Um, I also, you know, you mentioned I was a singer songwriter, I I released my first single on on all platforms too. Um, So you can you can search Sergio signs on on Spotify or Apple Music or YouTube music and find uh, my new single Chuma Borrachera I'll be um, I'll be releasing music both in English and in Spanish. Um, every basically four weeks for until I run out, you know I have about twenty songs, so it's going to be a while, you know. But in either case, that's the that's the plan. So I have uh, my next single coming out very soon. Um, we have our website uh, www.agape4smb, and that's the number four com. That's where all of our offerings can be found. Um, information about our church, um, becoming a member. All of those processes could be found on our website. Um, yeah, and then you know we offer coursework things like that. We offer integration services. Um, so if any of that uh, calls to you, then then you're welcome to uh, to explore that with us.